1: Hello and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Barry Guy along with Hamish Bidwell for this week's podcast from RNZ Sport. The Rugby World Cup has been thrown into turmoil with the cancellation of at least two games because of a typhoon forecast to hit Japan. And locally the Silver Ferns take on Australia in the first game since claiming gold at the World Cup in July. What can we expect? Our rugby reporter Joe Porter joins us from Tokyo uh, and uh, Nepal reporter Bridget Tunnicliffe is also with us in the studio. Uh, firstly, Joe, uh, what's the weather like?
2: It's raining outside, drizzling, but it's calm. Um, it's a bit grey, but yeah, nothing to be worried about. No wind or anything at the moment in Tokyo.
0: Let's get to the nub of it, mate. Should, should the tournament be staged in Japan at this time of year? Should World Rugby have uh, given them the hosting rights?
2: Probably not, but if they want to grow the game in Asia, they really didn't have many other options, I'd suggest, so um, yeah, it's one of those ones where they're probably caught between a rock and a hard place. They can't hold it any earlier because it's way too hot in Japan. People would literally be falling over on the field in 45 degree heat. You can't hold it any later because it's getting close to Christmas time and it wouldn't work for audiences around the world. So yeah, I guess maybe they are a little bit foolish or foolhardy and hoped for the best when they maybe knew the typhoon season was here, but I can't really see any other alternative to hosting it in Asia if they want to spread the game in this part of the world. So it's probably one of those ones where they knew it was coming. They may maybe should have had better contingency plans for around the typhoon and the pool games, but... It is what it is. I think if they want to really, yeah, spread the game around in this part of the world, so I think it's probably a political choice they made to try and grow the game. But it certainly had some pretty big ramifications on the tournament. I mean, it's pretty disastrous really having to cancel two games. It's an absolute shocker for Italy, who had a genuine chance, albeit very slim, of going through to the quarterfinals. That tournament, that chance has been robbed from them. I know they had a couple of players who were in tears yesterday after hearing the news that the game would be called off. And, of course, the Scotland game against Japan is definitely not guaranteed to go ahead. If this typhoon is what they think it will be, I mean, who knows what the infrastructure's going to be like, looking like on Sunday morning after it's gone through, will the ground even still be there? So, yeah, it's, um, and that game would be an absolute travesty if it didn't go ahead.
0: Because you mentioned contingencies. Without knowing exactly where... Um, the typhoons are going to land and it's a movable feast. At one point, I think Iwita was going to be a place where it might land and now that's yep. being regarded as a safer place where games could be moved to without knowing where things are going to land and exactly what time and to what severity. It's really hard to make alternative yep. plans, is it? To say, well, we'll shift it to there or we'll go to... We'll, up sticks with everyone. I mean, it's such a big travelling road show. I, I genuinely yes. think that with without the ability to move people at short notice that the only alternative is just yep. not to have it there. And you're pointing about growing the game, and certainly it's a great market for rugby in a true rugby country, but you can't guard against this kind of a scenario. And as you mentioned, if if Scotland, Japan doesn't go ahead on Sunday, well, fair income people are going to go spare, aren't they?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think perhaps the only option they did have was to perhaps point out before the tournament that if a typhoon was to hit, some of the fans would miss out and the games would be played behind closed doors because they could essentially move Scotland and Japan if they gave them enough warning. Of course, you can't move the fans, it's way too hard. The logistics would be ridiculous, and of course the reliance on public transport here is just, yeah, you know, like you say, far too big of a mission basically. But maybe they should have made people aware that if the if typhoons did hit, the fans would miss out on a game, but the teams wouldn't, and you could perhaps play Scotland and Japan behind closed doors at a stadium that's not going to be affected by this typhoon. I think that maybe is the only other viable option, otherwise you're right, you can't hold the tournament here.
1: What's everyone's take on uh, the Italian captain Sergio Paresi's comments that if it was the All Blacks chasing a win to get into the quarterfinals, that this game would have gone ahead?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, you'd have to say he's got a pretty decent argument. The All Blacks do tend to get the better rub of the green when things like this happen. um, And they'd be terribly disappointed. Imagine it was the All Blacks who had to play this game. They'd lost to South Africa. Uh, maybe they had a a different game somewhere else and needed a bonus point win or something like that to qualify top or even sneak through in seconds. It would be an outrage over here, an outrage around the world. The defending champions of the World Cup robbed of a chance to go to the quarterfinals simply because of the weather. So, no, he he maybe has a fair point there. I mean, it's very harsh on Italy. They had a genuine chance to make the quarterfinals and they now don't simply because they can't play this game. So uh, he probably has a fair point. Um, I imagine there's a lot of people in, around the world that agree with him, and uh, you've got to, your heart goes out to the Italians. It's a bit of a travesty. It's a crime, really.
0: Which goes back to my original point: like, were world rugby negligent in deciding to host it here?
2: Well, I mean, you probably have to say yes. Because I mean, the integrity of the up, tournament's actually, been called
0: into question, hasn't it? Games are going to be manipulated, absolutely. or, well, the, the, there isn't going to be natural justice for teams, is there?
2: No, that's right, and they don't have a chance to, to do anything. Now, I mean, look, you're probably right, but I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's probably beyond my pay scale. I think it is negligent because they yeah. knew it was typhoon season and they knew this would happen. They have 25-odd a year. Um, they had one earlier in the tournament that affected things when the All Blacks landed in Kashiwa. Uh, and this one is the biggest storm of the year, the biggest typhoon of the year here. So it could really cause a whole lot of damage. And like we say, who knows if these grounds on Sunday are going to actually be ready to host these games.
1: So the two games that have been cancelled, you could possibly look at that and say, well, you know, the, the two teams that have got through the quarterfinals were probably going to be the ones from the group anyway. That may not be the case for the Scotland game on Sunday. But we're now going into the knockout stages. If another one comes along... You've got to think that they now have another contingency plan, uh, World Rugby 2. They have to be played, whether it's delayed or, you know, you don't have a week between the games, it's only a few days between the games. Th- those games have to be played, don't they?
0: Yeah, I believe two of the quarterfinals are, na- yeah. are in Oita, and I believe there's been some suggestion that all four could be played there because it's a, it's a safer spot and it won't be uh, affected by this typhoon. I don't know if that's a um, practical Joe.
2: Yeah, well, that's right. They've got a closed roof down there. It's on the southern island of Kyushu, not Honshu up here, and it's not in the direct path of this typhoon. I mean, it couldn't. It still may not hit. You've got to realise that. It could just breeze past the side of the coast and not come out. It could peter out. It may not even eventuate. But however it does, yes, it could leave some stadiums like Tokyo Stadium, Yokohama, where, of course, the semifinals and finals are going to be played in all kinds of states. So. Yeah, they do have contingency plans for the knockouts. They will have, they can move days, they can move stadia. They've got a little bit more freedom and flexibility when it comes to that, I guess, because of course it is the knockout stadia. So I wouldn't be so concerned with that. But the pool matches, they really didn't have any contingencies. There was vague, ummings and murmurings and ah-rings about whether or not they could move anything, but actually, when it boiled down to it, no, they weren't going to move any of these thing, games, and they weren't going to delay any of them. They were simply going to cancel them. So it's a little bit of a, a you know, the, the World Rugby, I guess, sort of let those let those. Feelings be out there. So people thought it may be the case, and people had a contingency plan, but in reality, they never really did for the pool game. So I think they were a bit negligent there. Hopefully, the knockout stage is not so much. They could move the games to Oita. It'll be a nightmare for fans who have booked accommodation and are trying to move around the place, but at least I guess you never really quite knew where the quarterfinals were going to be, who was going to be in it exactly. So people may not be quite so set in stone with what their plans are. I think they'll be able to manage it a little bit better in the knockout stages. They've got a lot more time to move around the games and a lot more freedom to move them. Uh, over the next period but of course it's such a long tournament too you do really wonder what they can do did they plan well enough around this should they have had reserve days either side I mean moving the games forward could have been an option would that have been a good idea keeping them at the same stadium but just move them a day or two forward Um, so yeah I think you're right negligent with the pool stages hopefully in the quarterfinals semis and finals and knockout stages they do have proper contingency plans in place and can move those games around
0: Um, In some ways, Bridget, I'm wondering if this typhoon is as shambolic as it's made things. It's almost a godsend for the tournament. I have to be frank. I have found the thing an absolute bore. There's been nothing that's grabbed me. I don't think there's been a convincing or um, worthy storyline. There's been a lot of attempts to beat stories up here. There's a lot of clickbait and a lot of manufactured sort of outrage to try and get people's eyeballs on the World Cup. But the tournament itself's been flat. People have struggled to watch it. Not everyone's picked up their subscription from Spark and all that kind of thing. The typhoon's actually added something. What's your World Cup experience been like?
3: Well, full disclosure, like I I like rugby, but I, I don't love it. I'm not I'm not an obsessive. So um, for me, the the stage of the World Cup has been interesting, but it hasn't been gripping. Um, the, for me I love an underdog story so I loved it when Japan beat Ireland that's the heart, been the highlight for me so far and um, I, I love some of the colour stories coming from out of Japan that some of our guys have been producing and they've been talking to uh, some of the guys that play their tr- play their trade in Japan and that's been more interesting for me than the actual results and obviously the, the side stories here have been the weather and the other side story has been the tackling and you know unless you're a, a rugby obsessive it might not it's probably not going you're not going to find it that interesting so yeah i i would say um this stage of the tournament like you just need to appreciate that some of the minnow teams at this stage um don't get obsessed with the allblades don't, don't don't get obsessed with england and um, ireland and australia um, appreciate the Namibias, appreciate the Russians because it's like those teams they, they still have the innocence if you know what I mean. <laughs> they haven't lost their innocence when it comes you mean to not the sports. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what I mean, they're, they're not bogged down with money. They're not bogged down with expectation. They're not bogged down with um, resources and sports science. So they're still playing it with playing the game with innocence and freedom. And so that's the, the part of this um, phase of the tournament that I like.
1: I went into this tournament having the All Blacks having won the last two with. Whatever sort of attitude, you know, that probably comes across <clears> as being um, arrogant in some way. But um, I've been relaxed about the, the whole thing. And I must admit, uh, the last few days have been uh, exciting. Um, I don't know, how much whether it's uh, enticed you to watch more rugby that's now not actually going to be on to uh, watch the <laughs> World Cup. That's
0: one excuse now, isn't it? I can't watch these games because they're not on. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, well, we've got another three weeks or so yet. We'll uh, we'll, uh, have plenty of time to discuss that. Uh, Thanks to Joe Porter in Tokyo. We've uh, let him go, carry on with all his work. But um, Bridget's staying with us, and the World Cup champion Silver Ferns are set to show their stuff over the next couple of weeks in the Constellation Cup Series against Australia. World champions, that sounds good, doesn't it? But a bit like the All Blacks, are we now wanting them to win all the time? Um, Bridget, so that that World Cup... um, what what can we expect now
3: yeah this is um a pretty big hurdle for the silver ferns because they actually haven't won the constellation cups so- for six years. So last time was 2012 and they've only won it once since the Con Cup was introduced in 2010. So that's um, a big hurdle that they would love to overcome in the series. And the other um, quite astounding fact is that the Silver Ferns haven't won back-to-back games against the Diamonds for four years. That was back in 2015 for that Constellation Cup series. So it just shows you how dominant Australia had been over New Zealand for the past four years or so. So, you know, New Zealand have won the the old game here and here and there but they've never been able to back it up so if they win the opening game on Sunday they will break that four year pattern and finally gain some ascendancy so there's a lot um, there's a lot going on with this um, Conservation Cup
0: Yeah because the one off scenario is one thing but doing it over four games that's, that's tricky isn't
3: it Yeah absolutely um, when Australia are wounded they come back hard and strong but I think the thing that's different this time, the thing we've got going for, for the Silver Ferns this time is that when we reached the uh, World Cup in Liverpool, Nolan Tota had only had 11 months with the team by that point. And the first few months of that whole campaign was she was laying the groundwork. She was still figuring out who her, who her 12 were going to be. And so I think we only started to see the Silver Ferns really hitting their straps in the later stages of that World Cup when they went down to the Australian Diamonds with one goal in that final pool game. They you know, obviously beat England in the semi and beat Australia by one goal in that uh, grand final. And so I think this, we, we haven't actually seen the Silver Ferns at their best and Noli Tauru has said herself that there's a lot more room for improvement with the Silver Ferns and I believe her. I, you know, she, she only had them for 11 months so we're going to see improved Silver Ferns so I I think that they can actually overcome that Australian onslaught
0: You mentioned um, Nolene as interesting as the games themselves are going to be the subplot here is probably more interesting which is what's she going to do what's her future as head coach there's some veterans who are going to declare their hand about whether they're going to play on what's your read on those scenarios
3: Yeah so Nolene has sort of consistently said that she will make a decision after the January Northern Series when the Silver Ferns go up to England and play for there. I believe her. Um, She's one of
0: those people that you can't talk into anything, eh? She knows her own mind. She won't be swayed by people. If I say I'm going to do it now, this is when I'm going to do it. I won't do it before. I won't speculate in the meantime. This is it, right?
3: Yeah, I think she's been so full on and busy with netball that she has literally had to compartmentalise her thoughts on this, the lightning, the silver ferns, back to the lightning, back to the silver ferns, back to my decision whether I keep going with the silver ferns and it's understandable because uh, it's only in the last couple of weeks that she's had to move her family back to New Zealand and so she has to get a feel for that, she has to get a feel for life back in New Zealand and whether she can whether she's still um, hungry for that silver ferns job, so I be- I believe her when she says, and after that January northern northern series, that she will finally actually have some quality time to think about her decision. Uh, when it comes to Laura Lemon, you know, obviously less- yesterday she confirmed that she'll be playing on with the Lightning, in the Australian Super Nipple competition. So that's great news. It means she'll be likely be with the silver ferns for twenty twenty. Maria Falau, she hasn't signed on with an Australian team yet. And And the deadline for that is Monday. I think it's looking pretty unlikely because her Adelaide Thunderbirds team, they've already signed three shooters. And the same with the other um, franchises in Australia. They've signed their shooters. So this could well be the final swan song for Maria on New Zealand soil.
0: Yeah, Maria's situation, let's be honest, is going to be complicated by what her husband does rugby or rugby league-wise. In terms of Nolene, do you think she'll stay in coaching in the immediate term? Like, will she have a break? She's not doing the Lightning, obviously, next year. That's right, isn't it? So will she – the franchises here are teed up. So unless she coached the Silver Ferns, she'd likely not coach anyone. Is that fair?
3: Yeah, yeah, most likely. Um, I think – If she decided to not continue with the Silver Ferns, she might um, be looking at leadership in another sphere of life. Um, We might be talking a Maori trust. We might be talking politics even, possibly. Um, She is held up in high regard in New Zealand. And, you know, obviously she's got amazing leadership qualities. And she said herself that she has wondered herself whether um, outside, she's been doing netball for the past 20, 30 years and she has asked herself the question, could I succeed in other spheres of life and I think she'll be welcomed by in, with open arms um, in politics and policy and you know all kinds of different uh, avenues. So um, yeah, it's um, it's a bit of a question mark whether we sh- whether she will actually continue.
0: Just quickly back to the team with with Casey Corporal going out. Who do you think will go with Jane Watson in the circle? Like will Katrina still be a wing D? Um, Michaela Sokolich beetsons come in. Mm. Um, what do you think there?
3: I think as Katrina went so well at wing D at the World Cup that. Um, Nolene would be quite keen to keep her in that position and Michaela Sokolich beetson has obviously come in as you know, effectively replacing Korpua. Sokolich beetson she's not as tall as Korpua. She's a different kind of player, but I think she actually excels at goal defence. Um, for the Mystics for the past couple of years, she's uh, sort of been squeezed out slightly and she's been moved to wing defence and she's done pretty good. Good there and you know you got um, Fenis Karaka who's taller playing in the circle at the Mystics. But when uh, Solwich Beetson has gone into that circle, you know last year uh, Fenis Karaka was injured for a few weeks. Um, that's where she's actually really excelled. So even so, she's slight. Even though she's slightly shorter, I think that's where she her future lays and. Um, you know, I think back to Julie Coletto, one of the best goal defences that the world's ever seen. She played for the Diamonds. She wasn't particularly tall either, but that's her strength, Michaela. Um, she loves, uh, she uses the ground as she comes forward and she cuts off that uh, front pass to the attackers.
0: Um, we think Langman's going to carry on. That's good. If Philo does go, who is going to come into the shooting circle at goal shoot? Or I mean, um, Ikanasio's done a good job at goal attack, hasn't she? But they they need someone to play goal shoot. While Wilson's going to come in for the Australian league. Is she? Is she a long term bet there? Do you think?
3: Yeah. So they brought uh, yeah they brought Wilson, and I think I actually. Do prefer Alia Dunn? If look, if Alia Dunn made all the um, fitness targets, I would put her ahead of Maya Wilson. I, I just think Dunn Dunn is amazing, but the thing, one thing that's leading her out, her down is her fitness. So I understand why they've brought uh, Wilson in. that um, that is the one area of the court that is a concern. And I talked to Nolene last month, and she said defense heaps of depth. Mid-court looking pretty good. Shooting circle, shooting ends, a lot to work on there. And the New Zealand A-team was announced um, last week as well. And um, you've got, you know, Maya Wilson... Tiana Matuaro, um Ellie Bird. Yeah, I'm a bit concerned about the fact that, you know, the likes of Tiana Matuaro and Monica Faulkner, she's not included in that team because she was she's injured, but I'm concerned they haven't kicked on. They had amazing um, debut seasons. Tiana Matuaro was, look, everyone was talking about her as the next big thing when she debuted for the Pulse in 2017, but she hasn't really kicked on. So, um, yeah, that's a, a major area that the um, coaching uh, area needs to work.
0: On. I'm thinking just quickly um, maybe 3 1 Series win to Australia or 2 2 at best. What, what's your hunch?
3: No, I'm going to say 3 1 New Zealand. Hey. Yeah, yeah, because I don't think they reached their peak of the World Cup because Nolan, by that stage, that, that was only when they were starting to hit their straps. So maybe I'm being too positive. I don't know. But I, yeah, they weren't. I, they were still just getting there. So I think they're going to reach more of their peak in the Constellation Cup.
1: Great. It's uh, perfect uh, optimism there. Bridget Tunnicliffe, our Nepal reporter, thank you very much. Well, that uh, is uh, extra time for uh, this week. Uh, Barry guy with Hamish Bidwell. And uh, you can follow us on Twitter at RNZ Sport. Bye for now.